Daniel. The book of Daniel, I'm a little bit partial to the book of Daniel for obvious reasons because that's the uh, Bible character that I am named after. And I'm so thankful for that godly heritage, that godly name, and for the testimony of the life of Daniel. And man, if I could just be a quarter of the man that he was, not that I want to go through the persecution that he went through, but if I could just be a quarter of the man that he was and the stand that he took and the influence that he had, man, how amazing would that be of a legacy of my life. And so I trust that you have your favorite Bible character, but we're going to look at Daniel tonight and we're going to look specifically at just one verse. I'll try and preach to you an entire story. And I do know the time. I do know the hour. I do know you have tomorrow off for most of you too. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm, I'm not going to take that liberty, but I do want to just point out just a a quick truth to us, give us some application, and then we'll be on our way tonight. Daniel chapter number two, and if you are there, let me hear a good hearty amen tonight. All right, so half of you are there, the other half are still finding it, all right? So I'll give you a second here to find Daniel chapter number two, and uh, now if you have found Daniel chapter two and you're physically able to do so, would you please stand in honor to the reading of God's Word if you're physically able to do that, and if you've now found Daniel chapter number two. We're just going to look just at a quick verse or two. Really, we'll kind of read two verses just to kind of give us a little bit of background here. But really, we're just going to kind of get a thought out of one particular verse that we will read tonight. But Daniel chapter 2, and look at verse number 27. Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 27. I love here in the rustling of Bible pages. That is awesome. So many have gone to the electronic copies and no problem with that, but there's just something about the wrestling of pages, isn't there? And so Daniel chapter number two and verse number 27, look at there if you would. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king at Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days, thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Let's take just a moment and we'll bow in a word of prayer and then we're going to look at something in verse number 28. I don't want to give it away just yet. I'm going to hold you in suspense. But I believe you'll see in verse number 28 the thrust of our passage tonight in just a moment. And I believe if you'll do this, as I pray in just a moment, as you bow your head and as I pray, maybe you might pray something very simple like this. Lord, speak to me. Lord, put aside the distractions, put aside the events of even tomorrow or the things I still need to get done tonight. And Lord, just speak to me. And you know what? I, I guarantee you that's a prayer request that the Lord will answer. He'll speak to you if you're willing to open your ears and your heart to Him. So let's bow and let's look to our God in a word of prayer. We'll jump right into this message tonight. But you pray in the quietness of the moment or there in your seat in your heart, and then we'll get right into the preaching of God's Word. Father, I do pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would remove me and, Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to work. And I pray that long after this meeting is done and concluded and the last amen is said and Lord, the last goodbye or handshake is given even at the end of the night as we go our separate ways that, Lord, what we hear tonight would be written on our hearts. And long after this message is maybe gone from our ears, Lord, that the, the premise would be written on our hearts and we might be reminded of it on a day-to-day -day basis when we need it the most. 
And so I pray that you would bless now. Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the good singing we've heard. Thank you for the sacrifice of so many so we might have the privilege of being even here tonight with the freedoms that we enjoy. But I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now in these few moments we have together. In thy son's precious name, we ask these things, for he alone is worthy. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Something was destroying my wife's grandparents' yard. I, I never saw one, but I know something was living there because there were ruts being left in the grass and there were mounds that were starting to come up from out of the grass. And it made for a very bumpy ride every time I would try and mow her grandparents' yards. Now, probably if you know what I'm talking about, you know I'm talking about moles. I never saw a mole. I didn't see one physically with my eyes, but the damage that they were leaving, the evidence that was there was very apparent that there was moles destroying her yard. You know, now that I think of that, something that you and I might never see is what God is sometimes doing in our midst. We may not be able to feel or touch. We may not see the the evidence necessarily, if you will, like that of moles destroying my grandmother's yard, but we know that God is at work. In fact, it was Billy Graham who said this. He said, I cannot observe the, the, excuse me, the point is that we can't observe the existence of something by the result of its presence. He would say later on, he would say, I've never seen the wind but I can feel the presence of the wind. I can't touch the wind, but I can feel the presence. I can see the evidence of the wind. Uh, A South Dakota joke for you, as we were driving across I-90, we felt the wind in our van uh, yesterday and then even today. And those of you that have lived here long enough, you know what I'm talking about. You don't see that wind, but you sure do feel that wind. And sometimes we don't see God's hand at work. Sometimes we don't see God doing something in our lives, but we do know that there is evidence of His presence working on our behalf and moving in in, in invisible ways. If I can say it as the, the writer of Romans said it in chapter 1, verse number 20, for the invisible thing of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. How are they seen? Because they are seen within our hearts. They are seen out in creation. And we can understand them by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In our passage, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And for those of you on a Sunday night, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you didn't already know. But the story goes here in chapter number two was Nebuchadnezzar was asleep one night and because of maybe some bad pizza, right? Just coincidence. He would have a dream. No, I believe it was of the sovereign will of God to allow this to happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And he began to dream this dream and begin to see these things unfold. And as he woke himself from sleep, he began to search for answers. What does it mean? What does it mean? Can somebody tell me what this means? And he reached out to the only people he knew to reach out to. And I just want to say this in passing, that there are often times where the unsaved are going to reach out to only those that they know. And that's why God has put you where He has put you, because it might be for such a time when they are searching and when they are seeking that they're going to go to your workbench. They're going to come by your cubicle. They're going to go to your house or connect with you on Facebook. Why? Because they're searching for something. They're just searching for those answers and they're hoping that you have it. 
That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He was searching. He didn't know where to go. He didn't know where to turn. What does this mean? And he began to go to his astrologers. He began to go to his magicians. He began to call the 1-900 or 800 numbers that he found on TV that night. He was just searching, getting on YouTube and trying to find what does this mean? Just like our society is often searching in their own hearts and in their own lives. And here we see the story, and I'm going to have to go quickly tonight, but I think you understand it as he's searching for the interpretation. He calls together all these supposed men or these supposed experts, and he gathers them all together, and he gets them, and he says, now you tell me what my dream means. And they said, all right, we'll do it, king. We'll do it. We'll do it. Just tell us what the dream was. And he says, "Uh uh-uh. You're not getting after that easy. You tell me what the dream was, and you tell me what the interpretation is, because you're the experts. In other words, he was kind of calling them out, right? They, he wasn't going to give them any help, but he wanted to know the answer. And they looked at him. All of a sudden, they could not trick their way through this, could they? They could not just fake their way until they made it sound good. Now they had nothing to work from. They didn't have even just a small portion of truth. And that's often like what the devil will do is he'll take the little truth and he'll try to twist it in the minds of people or he'll try and twist it with the so-called experts to make it sound like it's legitimate, to make it sound like it is something that it's not. And we've got to be careful of that. But here we see Nebuchadnezzar kind of calling out these experts onto the rug and saying, hey, tell me the answer and they could not answer it he said then you're going to be dead imagine that just like that and they began to fear they began to cower well guess who was part of that number that part of that number was a man that had earned his way into the influence of the king by the name of daniel and Daniel hears this message, or he hears this, this, uh, uh, this decree, if you will, and, and basically Daniel stands up and he says, King, if you'll give me some time, if you'll give me just a space, he said, let me have a moment to where I can gather my friends, and let me just have a bit of time, and we'll come, and we'll give you the answer. And I'm paraphrasing a lot of it for the sake of time tonight, but Daniel gathers his three friends. You know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and... Abednego, and they begin to pray, and I'm sure there were probably others, and they begin to pray and beg God and seek God, saying, God, we're kind of thrown into the lot, we're kind of thrown into the mix, I mean, culture is kind of going this way, and we're kind of thrown with it because we're kind of uh, in the midst of it, but God, would you show yourself mighty on our behalf, and aren't you thankful God always has a remnant that is serving Him? In fact, look around. You're a remnant that is serving Him right here in Brookings, South Dakota. You're a remnant that God wants to use. You're those people that God wants to take a stand, that God has put in particular places so that you might be a help and you might direct and you might help to save some others that are around you. And here, Daniel and his friends meet together. They begin to pray. And the next morning, we see that Daniel comes before the king because God answers Daniel. God reveals the dream and God reveals the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel comes to the king as it said there in verse number 27. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men and the astrologers and the magicians and the soothsayers show unto the king. But here's our text tonight and here's the thought in verse number 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. There is a God in heaven. Aren't you thankful tonight? 
that there is a God in heaven? Oh, come on, aren't you thankful tonight? I mean, He saved you. He bought you. He restored you. And He is providing and protecting you. Aren't you thankful there is a God in heaven? And that's exactly why Daniel was put into this court. That's possibly why Daniel was taken from his family years before. That is why Daniel would take a stand and do what he would do and live the way that he would live, even though his parents weren't there to help him, even though he didn't have a good church to go to, even though he didn't have his own copy of the Word of God to know which direction he should go. There was and there still is a God in heaven that will reveal those secrets unto you, that will direct you and guide you. And I want you to think about that phrase tonight, there is a God in heaven, and how that should stop all of us to take an account of our own lives. I'll be quickly here, but number one, how the people of old learned that there is a God of heaven. How others learned that there is a God in heaven. Think about Noah who learned that there is a God in heaven who would not allow man's sin to go unpunished, but was also long-suffering towards and provided a way of salvation through the building and the sailing of an ark. And Noah learned that there is a God in heaven. Abraham learned that there is a God who could provide when trusted by faith. Joseph, as we mentioned a moment a few ago, learned that God could produce miracles in the midst of what seemed like trials and devastation. Moses learned that there is a God in heaven who was powerful and who could provide as he brought the ten plagues upon Egypt, as he allowed the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea. How many of you would love to have seen that or been a part of that and to see the mighty hand of God be able to part the Red Sea. God's provision time and time again in the wilderness for the children of Israel as manna would come and as the quail would come and as water from the rock would flow. What a powerful God in heaven. Pharaoh learned that there's a God in heaven, didn't he? That was mightier and greater than Pharaoh and his armies. Joshua Learn this God could defeat armies in the most unusual of ways by just walking around the walls. Yes, there is a God in heaven. David learned it. There is a God in heaven who he could live for and sing to. And wow, Solomon learned this God was the only source of true wisdom. Daniel, of course, learned that there, that this God would defend and protect his own as he himself would later be thrown into the lion's den and yet preserved and walk out without even a scratch on him. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You remember the story as they stood there in the fiery furnace, but there was a fourth one that was in that fire, and it was that God of heaven. It was that of the Son of God. King Nebuchadnezzar would also learn that there was a God in heaven later on. As he, would, as he would himself be humbled and walk like an animal and live in the fields for seven years like a beast and eventually be restored. Jonah learned this God was a God of second chances and all God's people said, Amen. Because we've often been there needing His care. How about John the Baptist that learned that God must increase and we must decrease? How about the countless lives in the gospel that were touched by this personal God who had the power over their physical and their spiritual needs and limitations? Hey, how about Peter who learned this God can answer prayers of a praying church and congregation as he was released from jail by the touch of an angel of the Lord? Paul, what a mighty man of God, right? And yet Paul learned that there was a God in heaven who planned not just to reach the chiefest of sinners, as Paul would call himself, but was, willing, but was not willing that any 
should perish, but that all should call on Him in repentance. There's so many more we could talk about besides, but yes, people of old learned that there is a God in heaven. You can go through your scriptures. You can go even to family members who have passed and who have run their course and finished their course with joy, and you can know that they believed and they knew personally the God of heaven. And I just want to challenge you, church family, tonight, don't miss it, but there is a God in heaven, and He is the same yesterday, and He is the same today, and He will be the same tomorrow, and He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you, and you can mark it down that the future is just as bright as the promises of God. So how did the people of old learn that there's a God in heaven? Well, they experienced it in a very real way. But I want you to see how you and I might learn tonight that there's a God in heaven. I'll be quick and I know the time. But I want you to write this down. Remember that there is a God in heaven when you sin. Remember that there is a God in heaven when you sin. God knows about your sin. I mean, we look around and we understand what we've done, and yet God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the very numbers on our head. He beholds the evil and the good. He knows exactly the thoughts of our hearts and the intents of our hearts. John chapter 2, verse number 24 through number 25 says this, But Jesus did not commend Himself unto them, because He knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. Hey, my friend, I just want to remind you, and I don't want to stick on this for very long, because I think you understand, but tonight there is a God in heaven, and that God knows your sin, that God knows your heart, that God knows knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. That God knows the secret places of your heart. That God has sees our sin. But I also want to remind us that God is also quick to forgive us of our sins. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? First John chapter 1, verse number 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are not beyond hope if we fall before Him and confess our sins and ask for His forgiveness. So friends, just a reminder tonight very briefly that there is a God in heaven and that God sees our sin. That God is ready to forgive our sin and to, con and to forgive us of our unrighteousness. But I want you to see secondly, not only is there a God in heaven who sees our sin, in, but there's a God in heaven who sees our sorrow. He sees when you're hurt. He sees when there's the ache in your heart. He sees when there's that wound, if you will, in your soul. There are many hours when God seems close to us, and He seems so close to us when we worship Him, or when we look up into the starry-filled night, or when we are blessed with a miracle. But surely God is even closer in times of difficulty, in those times where we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that He was promised He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And it's such a time where God draws nearer unto us when we need Him the most, and when we're hurting the most. And God is there to see your sorrow. God is there to comfort you in those times of need. And my friends, I just again want to remind you that you can take His yoke upon you and learn of Him and you can be comforted by the fact that He is there for you and He will direct you and He will guide you and He will be that comforter for you when you need that comfort when you walk through those times of sorrow. I don't know where you might be tonight, but you might be in that place where you need that, that comforter. You might need that, that loving, tender shepherd to just guide you and direct you and to hold you close and He is there for you tonight because He sees you in your sorrow. But then I want you to be reminded very briefly 
There's a God in heaven not just for when we sin. There's a God in heaven that sees us when we're in sorrow. But friends, there's a God in heaven that sees us when we take a stand. You know, in our society, we're going to have to probably start taking a stand, aren't we, as Christians? We're going to have to start being... Uh, we're going to have to start speaking up. We're going to have to start talking out. We're going to have to start being a little bit more bold in our witness. Otherwise, the freedoms that we enjoy could be gone tomorrow. We've got to take a stand, whether that's a teenager at their public school, whether that's a man or a woman here in your job, or maybe even right here in your neighborhood or even in your family. It might be a place where you need to take a stand, but don't forget that there is a God in heaven that sees you when you take that stand. There is a God in heaven to give you the courage and to give you the boldness to speak up and to stand up and to do what is right. Daniel and his friends took a stand when it wasn't popular, and you may need to do the same, but remember that there is a God in heaven watching over to you and protecting you and will stand with you when you stand for Him. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. It may not always be popular, but doing the right thing is always right. So He's there when you take a stand. And let me close with this last thought and we'll be done. There is a God in heaven that sees us when we sin. There is a God in heaven that sees us when we walk through those times of sorrow. There is a God in heaven that is there for us when we stand for Him. But I want you to remember this last thought. There is a God of heaven who sees us, and one day we will stand before Him. One day we will give an account of our lives to Him. One day he, we, your, your life will be done on this earth and you will stand before Him and it is then that you will give an account of your life to Him. And my friend, if you have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that day will be a day of judgment. That day will be a day that you are probably not looking forward to as you stand before a holy and a righteous judge and as you give an account for how you lived your life for yourself and what you did for yourself and it was all about you and you're going to stand before that God. But for many of us, no doubt in this room this, this evening, we're going to stand before Him and it won't be a day of judgment for us. It'll be a day of welcoming. It'll be a day, hopefully, for all of us hearing our Savior say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm looking forward to that day and I'm not afraid to stand before Him on that day. Why? Because of His nail-pierced hands that took my sin on that cross. It was Him that that forgave me. It was Him that saved me. And I want to make sure that I live for Him. But maybe tonight that's not you. Maybe tonight you're a little bit scared. You're not a child of God. And one day when you stand before Him, you will not hear, well done. You'll hear, depart from me. But tonight you can change all that by remembering that one day you will stand before that God of heaven. So why not kneel before Him tonight? Accept Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Friends, for sake of time, let me just remind us that there is a God in heaven. Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, King, it's not me. It's not my friends. It's not that we have this amazing power or that we have conjured up something. He said, it's not us. There is a God in heaven. It's not us. It's Him. 
He's the one that sees. He's the one that knows. He's the one that will reveal. He's the one that is there. And friends, I just want to remind you that there is a God in heaven who sees you when you sin. There is a God in heaven that is there to forgive you when you sin. There is a God in heaven that will see you when you're in sorrow. There's a God in heaven that will comfort you when you are walking through that valley by yourself. There is a God in heaven who also sees you when you take a stand at work and when you take a stand for Him in the classroom and when you take a stand in your neighborhood or with your family and He is there and He will encourage and give you boldness and He will help you. But there is a God in heaven that we will all stand before one day. The question is, are you ready when you stand before Him? Are you ready when you stand there before Him? Maybe today you were just reminded that there is a God in heaven. And I pray that all of us would be reminded of that thought as we go throughout our day tomorrow, as we go throughout our week, our month, our year, that we would remember that we're going to one day stand before that God. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, I thank you so much for the attention to the Word of God, and I felt the liberty of preaching, and I thank you for that. But I do believe that there are some here that maybe tonight you were reminded. Maybe for too long you've been living for yourself. You've been living as though nobody's watching, as though nobody cares, as though nobody is there to see the stand that you take or the sorrow that you're living through or maybe even the sin that is in your life. But maybe tonight you were reminded that there is a God in heaven. I'm going to ask the piano to just play softly. I'm going to ask just for a simple time of invitation. We're not going to stand. We're not going to move around. Maybe just right there in the quietness of your seat, right there in your heart, that you might just say, Lord, thank you for for being my Savior. Thank you for being my God. Thank you for the reminder to live for you. But perhaps tonight you don't know Him as Savior, and perhaps tonight is the night that you need to trust Him as your Savior. And if that's you, I'll meet you in the back. I know Pastor Pastor Nick or Pastor Forsberg would be glad to meet you in the back and to share with you how you can know this God that loves you, that sent His Son for you, so that one day when you stand before Him, you will hear those words, well done. In the moments here of this invitation time, just think about the message. Think about what it is when you stand before that that King one day.